Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today we have on Rob Anderson. Rob uh, created the Athletic Evolution to provide best practice in athletic development and coaching of young athletes. Rob is dedicated to improving the quality of athletic development training delivered to youth athletes. Rob currently leads the Youth Athletic Development for the Scottish Rugby Academy in the Caledonia region. Rob has previously worked for numerous organisations, including NYFA Sweden, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Team Palmer Gimson Beach Volleyball, London Thunder Basketball and British Gymnastics, and Leaf Studio School. Some of the relevant qualifications that uh, Rob has includes the Masters in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology, BSc Honours in Strength and Conditioning. He's also a World Rugby Coach Educator for Strength and Conditioning. He's also UKSC accredited. And he also holds the Precision Nutrition Level 1. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks very much, Chris. Great to be on. Good to catch up again. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so all good with you? Yeah, no, it's busy. i kind of gearing up for post-corona life with the, the yeah. Scottish Rugby Academy. So that keeps me on my toes, getting the players back to some sort of normal training schedule and, and getting them ready for hopefully the season ahead. Yeah, so obviously today's the uh, main area we're going to talk about a bit from your expertise, Rob, is um, youth strength training benefits. So obviously, I've got the first topic I'd like to touch on with you and try and get some discussion going is about how bone development can benefit, get the benefits from the youth strength training. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting and misunderstood area. So one of the big um, reasons that parents or coaches might um, try and discourage strength training is because they're afraid that it's going to stunt bone growth. Um, now, actually, the opposite is true. So for, I'll give you an example of this. So one of the big um, issues that you have when you take uh, astronauts into space is because of the lack of gravity, there's no stress on the bones. And because of that lack of stress, then actually the bone quality diminishes. So we know that gravity has an element to play in bone development. Yeah. Now, when we're doing weight training of any kind, all we're really doing is changing gravity, right? Because we're adding some additional load. So gravity already exists. Um, we know gravity acceleration at 9.8 meters per second squared. Now, when I add some sort of load to your system, be it via a kettlebell or a dumbbell or a barbell, or even something that people don't think about, which is jumping and landing. So jumping mm -hmm. off a box, jumping off a wall, yeah. jumping in basketball, jumping in um, triple jump, high jump, long jump, volleyball, gravity is acting upon my system and your body does not know the difference between a barbell, a kettlebell, a drop from a box, a drop from a spike in volleyball, a drop from a dunk in basketball. Your body doesn't know the difference. All it knows is that a stress has happened to your system in this situation, the bone. And as a result of that, your body adapts to that stress. So whether that's compressive and whether that's rotational talk and the, the response is to lay down more bone tissue to make that bone stronger. Mm -hmm. So actually, by using strength training, we can actually help reduce the likelihood of fractures, reduce the likelihood of uh, stress fractures, et cetera, by stimulating bone growth. Um, so actually, although some parents or coaches may be afraid that we're gonna stunt growth, um, that's a bit of a misunderstanding around stunting of localized growth plates, which yeah. largely happens through high impact collisions. So if you look at the research, it's typically kids falling off skateboards, falling off bikes, falling out of trees and colliding with concrete. Or in a sporting context, it's things like rugby, American football, big high impact collisions where two people are sprinting at each other and smashing each other. That is potentially harmful to growth plates. But even then, if I break a, uh, or stimulate some sort of 
um, stress reaction or fracture in a growth plate in my wrist, that's never going to stop me becoming six foot five. It's yeah. just not a factor. Um, you know, even, even ones in the lower, lower shin or femur, that's not going to cause drastic reduction in height, which is kind of the fear that parents and coaches might have. So actually what we're afraid of is actually the medicine we need. So if we want to re reduce the risk of stress fractures, reduce the risk of um, acute fractures in kids, the best way to do that is to give them strong bones. Now, alongside a nutritional element, having good nutrition and vitamin D and the sunshine and calcium and milk, et cetera, is applying that stress that stimulates the skeleton to lay down better quality bone tissue. And this has been shown in the research when they've taken um, youth weightlifters and compared them to kids their own age who didn't weightlift mm. and even compared them to adults who were older than them those youth weightlifters had better bone mineral density. Why that's is interesting. that? That's interesting. Because of the weightlifting. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you're making there. So that's, that's proper research that you've, you've obviously that's come about, which is good because I think that, that just blows the myth right out of the water, right? Yeah, 100%. And actually it shows you that the very thing you're telling your kid, okay, we're not going to do that to your 15, 16, which by the way, is largely for insurance purposes. It's insurance companies don't want to insure a gym to have kids under the age of 16. It's got nothing to do with physiology, nothing to do with mm -hmm. um, biomechanics, et cetera. It's insurance, but we've yes. taken that as, oh, you shouldn't train till you're 16 or 18. Well, nothing mm -hmm. happens on the day you're 15 years, 364 days, mm -hmm. and the day you wake up on your 16th birthday. Physiologically, very little has changed. So how come on yep. one day you can't, and the next day you can? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It's totally, yeah, totally doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you another question about bones. Where do you think, from your experience, this myth came from about the, this? You know, the the, the the main thing about growth plates and how parents and, and coaches are scared to use it. How, where do you think it came from? I think it's just a misunderstanding. I think um, because there's, there is a small margin of truth to it, in that if you do get a big high impact collision, you mm -hmm. can potentially harm the, the stimulation of growth plates in the bone. Yeah. But it depends where that bone is and also the contribution to what's left of growth in that bone. So just in case people aren't aware, you know, on all the kind of um, long bones of the body, your femur, your tibia, and, and in your wrist as well, we've got growth plates, which are basically the last bits that seal off of the bone. So the rest of the bone might be quite strong, might be quite um, kind of rigid, but these bits are still a little bit malleable because they're effectively, effectively the last bit that seals off. Mm -hmm. Now, as a result, they're a little bit more susceptible to these kind of issues, and particularly during periods of growth. And that's why we get things like Oscar Schlatter's, Severs, um, Sinders Lasting Hansen, because at those periods, you'll notice you get Severs slightly younger than you get Oscar Schlatter's. That's because your mm -hmm. skeleton matures from a distal to proximal um, pattern. So it matures first from the, the, the arms and um, the feet and wrists, then kind of comes more and more close to the center of the body. So younger kids may get severs if they're working too hard. Next up, slightly older, get Osgood Schlatter's, and it mm -hmm. works that way. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of the fear has come from a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. So we hear stunting of growth plates, and we yeah. think complete growth, as in... Yeah, yeah. So if I fracture a growth plate, yeah, carry on, Rob. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's just not, you know, if you cause some localized stunting in the growth plate of, a, you know, your wrist, that's not going to stop you reaching your final adult stature. That's a lot more to do with genetics. It's a lot more to do with nutrition, your environment. It's a very little to do with your growth plate in your wrist. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Previously, what you said, um, 
before that. Can you repeat that again? What was that? Um, you were speaking about, um, I think it was the growth plates and about knowledge and, and like um, how having a little knowledge can sort of scare people, I suppose. Yeah, I think with a lot of these topics, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. So someone hears something or hears a little snippet, or especially in today's culture, a little sound bite, and they hear yeah. stunting of growth and a growth plate. And they think that when we're talking about growth, we're talking about the entire skeleton. Yeah. Whereas actually, if there's an issue, a localized issue in one area, that may cause a small reduction of the, you know, the final length of that bone. But if you're 17 years old and you break a growth plate, you were probably nearly finished growing anyway. Yeah. But if you're 14 years old and you break a growth plate in your wrist, well, that's not going to stop you reaching your final adult height. Mm -hmm. So it's just a misunderstanding. And I think yeah. people hear a little snippet and kind of maybe take that too far. Yeah. So would you say, obviously, that when kids are working with or are, are thinking about or parents are thinking about going to coaches, they obviously go to coaches that are knowledgeable and know the progressive steps to actually take the kid through the proper steps to do the correct training. 100%. Like if you look at, so now uh, if you look around the world, there's a number of consensus statements. So the um, Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, the UK Strength and Conditioning Association, but most notably, the biggest one, I think, um, alongside the American SNC Association, is the American Academy of Pediatricians. Now, if you've got pediatrics and pediatricians saying, hey, this is safe mm -hmm. um, in such a kind of, you know, suing heavy culture, then yeah. there's clearly some agreement there, and not just in one place worldwide. However, each of those statements basically puts three caveats in place. And the three caveats are, this is safe if it's supervised adequately, if it's coached by someone who's qualified, yeah. and if the athlete is mentally ready to engage in training. Now, this is where you see these horror stories on BBC or wherever. Yeah. Some kids pin themselves under a bench press because yeah. they left a 13-year-old kid unsupervised in his dad's garage gym. That's clearly not a smart scenario. It's okay. clearly not what we are talking about. We're talking okay. about a structured program under a qualified coach. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I would definitely agree with that. Um, it's those three key areas you've just mentioned there, uh, having the, the correct supervision, the, the, the knowledge to do the, the training, and also, if the, as, as you were saying, if the youth is mentally prepared to, to take on the training and do it properly. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, moving on a little bit now to um, neuromuscular development with youth strength training as well. But what's your thoughts on that process? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one because um, it kind of people can misunderstand this as well and, and kind of think, you know, we need something sport specific. You know, I need a sport specific. I get this all the time. Parents, you know, my 10 year old is a pro academy footballer. I want to get a sport specific training program for him. Well, why did you did you ask the math teacher just to forget times tables and go straight to calculus? Yeah, no, yeah. that's dumb. No. You wouldn't do that. Right. So the same is true. Before we do the sport specific stuff, we need the basic skills. Because fundamentally, all movement is just the brain and the body communicating with each other. Yeah. And that's a motor skill development. So before we go down the super specific things, we need to develop the motor patterns that we then want to use later in sport. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're talking about with neuromuscular development is the uh, simple characteristics like mobility, speed, power, coordination, um, yeah. strength is a motor skill as well. So all these things, uh, you know, when we're talking about neuromuscular development with five, six, seven-year-olds, we're not talking about three sets of 10 barbell back squats. We're talking about 
animal shapes. We're talking about superheroes. You know, we're hiding this sort of neuromuscular development in fun activities where the kids don't know they're training. A qualified coach could step back and say, actually, I'm doing the Thor position because I'm working on X. I'm doing the Superman because I'm working on X. These kids don't need to know that information. They're just having fun. But a good coach can say, I'm working on these areas and I'm hiding it in this. So effectively, you know, I'm hiding my vegetables on your plate um, and we're going to work on these skills um, because we know that athletes who, who don't do that and specialize too early miss out on these skills. You know, I was chatting to Sylvia Muscops the other day who she um, is a, has got a PhD looking at strength training in young female gymnasts. Mm. And her whole background was artistic gymnasts. And she says, look, movement control, motor control, I've got no issue. But hand-eye coordination, I've got no reference point. I never played a, a catch or strike sport. So people have picked up on the fact that my hand-eye coordination is great. If someone throws something to me, I'm not smooth and fluid to catch it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not necessarily relevant for the gymnastic part of it. But what if she wants to go and play netball later in life? What if she wants to go and play softball? She doesn't have that skill set because she's never built it. And it's the same thing if we just get kids to focus on one thing, we potentially leave them a little bit high and dry in terms of the toolbox of skills they might need to go and take on other things later in life. Well, two things I want to mention there, actually, from what you've said. That thing there that you said in the start of the conversation about um, we're not well, when we talk about training kids at five, six, seven years old, we're not looking at uh, you know, throwing a barbell on their back. I think that could be a misconception as well, obviously, as well, right? Yeah, I think it's, again, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. People go, oh, we, kids can strength train. It's like, yeah, but at that point in time, what we're talking about is being able to control your own body weight. Yeah. So we're being able to say, hey, can, can you squat down and, and touch the ground? Okay, can you do that slower? Can yeah. you hold that? What if you, you know, hold a sandbag slightly in front or you hold a PVC pipe over your head? Or, you know, can you hit this position? Can you do a scorpion? Can you do a crab? Can you do a bear? We're just talking about managing your own body weight. Mm -hmm. There's no, we've got absolutely no um, sense in teaching kids to sprint before they can walk. And the same is true in the strength training world. Um, you know, frequently I get 15, 16 old rugby lads who come to me and they've just gone straight into barbell training and they miss so many facets of training. They can't do good push-ups. They can't do good lunges. They can't jump and land well. Yeah. And yet we're talking about back squatting and bench pressing. Well, hang on a second. You've got no right to do those exercises. You haven't passed through the gate of bodyweight squat or yeah. press-ups. Yeah. But the fundamental movements are key, right? Yeah, exactly. And if, if we don't touch those and we don't create robust movement patterns, we mm -hmm. let them down later in life. And I think this is where people... Um, can lead kids astray a little bit is they're so keen to get stuck into the gym stuff. We're so keen to go and listen to dumbbells or listen to barbells. Mm -hmm. But we have to understand that what we're teaching them in those critical years is laying the foundation for everything to come. And that's why I think that those first few people to coach the athlete are almost the most important because everyone after that is either building on what they've done or trying to undo it. Yeah. So it's basically getting them at a stage where they're Obviously, what you're telling me and what I'm reading from it is that the fundamental movement is done first for the kids so that and later in life, they can progress a lot smoother. Yeah, and I think that part of this comes down to people misunderstanding what training is all about. Like, training intensity is only one variable. So me, you know, getting you under a bench press and getting you to go from 40 kilos to 50 kilos to 60 kilos, okay, that's training intensity. That's just one variable. Yep. What about complexity? 
What if we, we went from a push-up to a hands-off push-up to a push-up with one hand on a medicine ball to a yep. single-arm dumbbell bench yep. Yep. to an alternating dumbbell bench? We've yep. changed complexity, right? We might mm-hmm. have changed intensity, but yep. at that younger age, I think complexity is the key because what yep. we're doing is teaching the brain, hey, oh, what about this variation? Can you do that? What about this yep. variation? Can you yep. do that? What if we change this implement? What if we speed it up, slow it down, pause yep. it? All these things are tools, but people don't go to them because we just think of strength training as get under a bar, let's get as heavy as you can, let's get a big one around. Yeah. Um, I think as well, uh, because kids are so, got like, games are sponge at that young age, I think you can obviously, if you, if you get the fundamentals in quicker, they'll, they'll pick it up a lot quicker as well and understand things more when they're older. Absolutely. I would say, like, you know, it's like as the more you coach, the more you think, oh, man, what I did 10 years ago was dreadful. Mm. So I've just recently take, taken some 14 and 15 year old athletes through some progressions where all we did was focus on complexity. And we did, we did this for six months. So these guys mm. didn't do any meaningful strength training for six months. No. OK. Um, we went through bodyweight squat, goblet squat, overhead mm. squat, yeah. zombie squat, front squat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we went to back squat. And now we're doing a proper strength training program and they all move way better than if we just started with back squat on day one. Yeah. And yeah. I know now we're going to get really strong. It's easy with a 16, 17 year old kid to get strong. Yeah. Testosterone coursing through their veins, yeah. growth hormone coursing through their veins. Anyone can get a 17 year old kid strong. But if you haven't laid that foundation of good movement, yeah. you're driving them into a dead end because they're yeah. going to get injured. They're going to lift too much with poor technique and herniate a disc or you know, yeah. injure something in some way. So if you were talking to coaches right now, Rob, would you, what was the first thing you'd say to them if they, were, if, they were, if they were asking you questions about training youth athletes? I would say movement first. So the critical thing is movement quality because that, that's the best way to avoid injury, right? With any young athlete, we know that training is, is key. So um, not just the number of hours we do because the 10,000 hours is a myth, but the quality of what we do and being able to expose more athletes to that. So in my situation, the athlete who can tolerate four hours of training a week will get less opportunities to practice and get better than the athlete who can tolerate 10 hours of practice. Now, part of that tolerance comes well to how, how well they move. Because if I move really badly and I'm placing stress on different structures that shouldn't get there, well, I'll get a tendinopathy. I'll get a patellar tendinopathy or I'll get an Achilles tendinopathy or I'll grind through my meniscus. Now, that comes from me not moving well. So effectively if i don't move well that will limit my training opportunities if i limit my training opportunities that limits my progression as an athlete mm-hmm. in that sport yeah because ultimately how good i am as an athlete in that sport is going to dictate how far i go much more than how strong i am or how fast i am potentially mm-hmm. um so what i think our number one job as strength conditioning coaches is to make athletes move well so they're more robust to injury so they can practice their sport more opportunities basically that you you are i say to the guys often you are no good to any rugby coach in the side in a moon boot or in a sling you're not getting better no right the, yeah. the rugby coach wants you to train as much as you can within tolerable ranges because mm-hmm. that's going to get you practice in your craft and it's yeah. the same in any sport mm-hmm. you know you're not improving as a tennis player if you're on the side with a tendinopathy no definitely not um so two things I'd like to talk about uh, you mentioned that i'm picking up from is minimal dose response now, over that's like more like a quality quality session rather than as you were saying going 10 hours a week and the person who's going four hours a week can move better recovers better and also essentially in the long run may develop quicker 
Yeah, I, I think this is one of the things that's really key and it's difficult to get across to kids because they want to do everything fast yeah. um, and they want to do more and more. Um, but actually, so this is an interesting one. I had a discussion with this with a, with a strength coach a while back who was working for me. Um, and we kind of started exploring this model of, well, these people are actually learning. So let's focus on motor skill. And one of the first programs he came back to me, we kind of reviewing and I said, what's, what's the first problem with this program? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, who's this program for? He said, what's for our learner group? Our new people have just come in. Okay, so what's the focus of the program? It's for them to learn the fundamental movements. Okay, great. What's the problem with your periodization then? You've gone from three sets of 10, four sets of eight, five sets of five to four sets of three. You're giving them less practice, not more, you're giving them less practice. That is the periodization we would do for someone who wants to get strong. Mm -hmm. You've told me that the aim of the phase is to move better. How yeah. is anyone going to move better by getting less practice? Yeah. But the focus here is, you know, in that sort of situation, we do three sets of six reps. Can you do all six reps to the highest quality? Yeah. So what we're trying to do is, is stay away from fatigue because we know movement gets worse when you load it up heavy, yeah. when you do it fast, and when you yeah. do it under fatigue. So when yeah. we're teaching beginners, we want to stay away from fatigue yeah. within a session, but also, as you're saying, across a training week. Can you imagine if we did five days on the trot training with someone, how good is the quality of that fifth session going to be? Oh. Pretty poor. Yeah. Because it's not got anything left in the tank. Exactly. So let's work plus rest equals success. Let's work hard. Let's recover hard. Let's come back and work hard again. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, yeah. So I think next I'd like to speak a bit about um, how body composition can um, obviously gain through strength training for youth. So what's your thoughts on that then, Rob? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's um, important to highlight how body composition changes naturally through growth and maturation. So um, in the words of Sean Cumming, who's the, probably one of the world's leading uh, kind of speakers on, this, on the topic of growth and maturation, we, yeah. we stretch out and then we fill out. So what that means is we typically get our growth spurt and then which we call peak height velocity. So that's the rate of change in height, which is the highest in our in our entire lives, well, actually after, after birth in terms of our adult lives. So we'll get that typically for males around 13, 14, 15, for females slightly earlier, 11, 12, 13. Now we'll get a peak height velocity, which is that spike. And then shortly after that, we'll get peak weight velocity, which is when we then increase body mass. So simple way to remember, we stretch out and then we fill out. So naturally we're gonna go through that process of shooting up and then putting the weight on. And if you've ever seen uh, you know, a kid go from 13 to 18, you'll see that. You, yes. you see that happen. We get the growth spurt, then they get this big um, addition of weight. Mm -hmm. So naturally through testosterone, et cetera, we're going to be putting on more muscle mass. Now, you only need to look at, um, you know, what's happened in the last 12 to 18 months with mm -hmm. kids being more inactive to see that less of that, muscle, that mass being put on has been useful mass. So we've obviously got lean mass, which is muscle tissue, and we have fat mass. Yeah. Now, by no means am I saying that you know, everyone should be less than 5% body fat or anything like that. But it is important to notice that in terms of body composition, we ideally want more lean muscle mass than fat mass, certainly for sports performance, yep. because essentially I'm just carrying around an extra 10 kilos to not help with my performance. But then also for life in terms of like obesity, type 2 diabetes, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, but also an important factor is to remember is that we're kind of setting habits for life around that period of time. So if we're eating poorly, not exercising, and we, we kind of get used to having that body composition, we're kind of setting that as our default mechanism moving forward in life. So that's where something like strength training can be really useful yeah. because we know strength training can stimulate um, the development of, of lean, lean muscle mass, which will make us stronger, more powerful, faster, 
but also just in general life or make general day-to-day -day tasks easier. So there's a big factor there. So um, being able to utilize strength training, not only from a sports performance element, but also a body composition element for general health is really important. Um, yeah, that's brilliant, Rob. Uh, I don't think I've got any questions about that. You pretty much nailed that on the head there. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously you've kind of touched on a bit about reductions in body fat there as well. So can you just dial a little bit deeper into that? Obviously you mentioned it slightly there, but what else do you have thoughts on about that? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because um, you don't need to go far into that to start talking about the other elements, nutrition, etc. So um, one of the big things that I do both in my work with Scottish Rugby and privately with the Athlete Academy is to focus on the habits that support you know, performance in, in and out of the gym, on and off the pitch. So, you know, there's no point putting all in all this hard work in the gym on the pitch and then not eating, not feeling your body because it's wasted effort. Right? So I talk to the boys and girls a lot around, OK, so what does our breakfast look like? I mean, we're getting proteins and carbohydrates in our breakfast. What about our snacking? Are we getting five fruit and vegetables a day? Are we sleeping eight hours? Are we fueling regularly throughout the day or are you just having breakfast and then not having anything until dinner? Yeah. So we start to look at those off pitch and off field habits because we know that is everything that gets us ready for that next training session. If we yeah. come into training under fueled, we turn up to school without having had breakfast. We know from the literature and we know from the research, you're not going to perform as well, like mm -hmm. not just physically, but cognitively, you know, kids who turn up having not had breakfast, Tend, the, there's a trend there that they don't perform as well. Yeah. So we look at some of those habits because for me, although I call them performance habits, they're just general lifestyle, right? That's not even, you know, we're not talking about getting 100 grams of carbs or 200 grams of protein at that level. We're just yeah. talking about what does breakfast look like? Are you getting five fruit and vegetables? Are you drinking two liters of water? And we actually measure that with <laughs> feedback on their consistency so they can improve it over the course of a month. Yeah. So all those things help. And when I find when you get those things in place, body composition starts to happen without us mm -hmm. really having to talk about it. So yeah. we don't necessarily have to talk to the person who's overweight or obese about improving, you know, decreasing obesity because they're starting to calibrate their habits to what is healthy for them. And some of that um, unhealthy mass or uh, you know, non-functional mass starts mm -hmm. to come off. And yeah. for the ones who are underweight, it starts to come on. So without having to have discussions individually to say, look, Chris, you're carrying extra fat mass and we want to get rid of that at the age of 15, mm -hmm. which can be pretty, you know, that's not going to be a positive experience. No, no, no. We don't necessarily need to address it specifically because on mass, we're all talking about breakfast and getting protein and carbs. And that's yeah, suddenly yeah, you realize, yeah. hmm, maybe me having a full Scottish fry up every morning isn't useful because Rob's telling yeah. me I should be having skier yogurt and some berries. Okay, I'm yeah, going to try yeah. that. And so you're starting to bring these things into a better kind of space. Twinned with the training, that's going to help improve body composition. Yeah. I'd like to talk a bit about protein and carbs um, in obviously sports training and obviously with youth athletes or generally any athlete because obviously protein is obviously shouted about a lot, but carbs can sometimes get a bad name. What's your thoughts on that? And what, what's your thoughts with carbs in fueling for training? Yeah, so that's a big part of what we talk about is, is fueling for training. Um, so typically I, I kind of, the, the thing that I typically find most athletes is they're, they're chronically under eating protein. Um, you know, typically their breakfast has very minimal protein in it. You know, yeah. they might have some porridge with some milk. I'm like, that's nowhere near enough for you. Um, you know, cause not only have you not eaten for 10 to 12 hours since dinner last night, but you probably trained last night. So you're still recovering from that session. So we need to get some protein in to help 
um, rebuild that muscle, you know, or, or uh, re recover. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, carbohydrates is another thing that have obviously been kind of um, scapegoated. Now, what I kind of try to explain to my athletes is, look, on a simple level, weight gain and weight loss is about calories and calories out. Where those calories come from can be manipulated. So we could reduce the calories from fat or we could increase the calories from fat. We could reduce them from carbohydrates or we could increase them from carbohydrates. But what we're doing there is just manipulating the source of those calories. It's not mm. that carbohydrates are bad. It's not that fat is bad. It's that we're potentially eating too much of those or too much of this or too little of that. So certainly I've seen this before with um, some female athletes that are trained. They were almost carb phobic. Mm. Everything was super low carb, super low carb. And we started having um, issues in terms of um, menstrual cycle. We started having issues in terms of training intensity and energy levels. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, what it was, was, okay, we've almost got this aversion to carbohydrates that's actually negatively affecting not only your sport performance, but your general health. Mm -hmm. So we actually need to Im improve this. Now, we don't want to go to the other level way so far that, you know, we're eating 600 grams of carbohydrates a day. No, no. That's not what yeah, we're saying. No, no. But it's around those portion sizes and, tra and training and fueling appropriately. Yeah. And also, would you agree that obviously as you, if you drop, you say you obviously, if, you, if, if you've got athletes that are carbophobic, as you were saying, the fatigue would be a lot quicker and then after the fatigue, they've got more potential for injury, right? Yeah, totally. Like if you're, if you're not fueled well, A, you're not going to perform very well, but B, we also know in terms of cognitively, you know, your brain operates on carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. um, so we know cognitively your function is going to decline. So your reaction time is going to decline. Your speed yeah. and power are going to decline. Yeah. Those don't sound like good things, right? <laughs> it's not going to set you up to no. succeed on the pitch. No. And we know that fatigue and, and poor decision-making is an element that results in injury. So you're going to find yourself in a situation you either didn't want to be in and in a position you probably didn't want to be in when bad things happen. Well, that's how we get injured. Definitely. Um, yeah, so that's that's good. And uh, the final thing I'd like to talk to you about, Rob, is what uh, uh, helps with enhancing, obviously, with the youth training, enhancing psychosocial well-being. What sort of positive things come out of it from that? Yeah, well, there's... Um, for those who aren't familiar with the work of, of Helen Collins, I'm pointing towards that. So she's a great researcher working out at Dundee who's been looking at uh, specifically youth strength training and not in necessarily a, a sporting population, but all around this psycho, uh, psych, psychological development. And her, her research is really interesting because it's basically reinforcing what people would have said about training around self-esteem and confidence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we um, anecdotally would say, hey, you know, little Stevie's really, his self-esteem is really growing. He's coming out of his shell. He's more confident. Well, parents, certainly the feedback I get from parents is around that. She's producing research that's backing that up and saying, this is what we're finding, you know, empirically. Um, so 100%, you know, the, I think uh, we, we like to think sometimes around the body in separate systems. So this is the psychological system. This yeah, is the hormonal yeah. system. This yeah. is the muscular system. Everything's linked. You can't yeah. separate anything out. You know, when your body is stressed, it doesn't know whether that stress is psychological or physical or mm -hmm. emotional. It responds in the same way. It pumps up cortisol, gets you ready for fight or flight. Yeah. you know regardless of whether that's an emotional stress at work a relationship stress a physical stress right yeah we can't separate out systems so if you um can improve the way someone feels psychologically you're highly likely that you're going to impact the way their hormonal system works because yeah. you know we know we're going to improve um cortisol potentially if they're anxious yeah. in situations so 
training, you know, I think you don't need to train for a very long time to start to get the, the gist of, hey, I feel really good after a training session yeah. for the sense of accomplishment. I feel like I've achieved something, especially if you can demonstrate progression. Hey, yeah. little Johnny, last week you were only doing bodyweight squats. This week we're doing goblet squats. You've yeah. improved. Or we did three sets of six last week. We're doing three sets of eight. You just got better. So yeah. for me, it's very much... I try not to compare athletes to each other, but to themselves. Hey, yeah. last time we did the standing board jump, you got 160 centimeters. Mm-hmm. You just got 170. Well done. You got better. So it's yeah. not this, oh, he's better than me, or I'm better than him, yeah. or she's worse than me. It's, hey, my progression over time is I'm improving. And we're teaching kids about the growth mindset. We're teaching them that, hey, this version of yourself isn't the version of yourself that you have to be forever. You can improve it. You can get stronger. You can get faster. You can get fitter. You can mm-hmm. get leaner. You know, all these things are within your control. Mm-hmm. And we know those things impact your identity, how you see yourself, your confidence, your mm-hmm. self-concept, which is only going to be positive in the long run. Yeah. So two things I took from that there that you spoke about is the systems is, was one of them, that we are a whole being rather than separate systems, as you were saying. Um, and also the fact that, as you were saying over time, teaching them, you know, the growth mindset of, Yes, this is where you are now, but in five years, you may be someplace completely different. Yeah, I think that's massive. Like, you know, you can't separate out things. Like anyone who, who's done this, you know, if, especially with kids, if things at home aren't good, mm-hmm. there's no point trying to teach them maths, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not interested in maths. They're worried about, you know, what's going on at home. Or if they've had an argument with their girlfriend, you know, there's no point talking about this because their mind's elsewhere. Yep. So people are whole beings, you know. It's actually almost not not beneficial to be able to cut off and be super cold in the midst of things being bad we you know that's being a sociopath we know that's not good so you know stress is is a holistic thing we it can come from any source our body reacts in a certain way regardless of whether that stress is a lack of sleep or an argument with a loved one or anxiety over upcoming exams you know we we know these are stresses so for example if i've got an athlete who's going through a really stressful exam period we're not going to train super hard because he's already got this stress somewhere else. Mm. We can't give him that stress and another stress and another stress yeah. and expect him to go well. Yeah, so really from, from that perspective, from what you just mentioned, that you've probably tailored, tailored the training to the specific person. Obviously, we do that as obviously already, but obviously you take a situation around at the moment, say they've got anxieties, you would tailor training towards that so their stress levels wouldn't be higher, right? Yeah, totally. Or do you know what? I've had um, athletes come in and they're like, I really don't feel like training today. Okay, what do you want to do? Uh, I might be just do the warm up and see how I feel. Okay, cool. Let's do that. And yeah. then, okay, I feel a bit better. Okay, let's just do two sets. Okay, yeah. cool. But we're going to go let lighter than we did last week. So yeah. I just want you to think about technique and moving well. Um, and maybe by the last set, actually, do you know what? I feel good now. Maybe now I can do one yeah. set that I'm going to go back to my normal training weight. But we've got to understand that this organism that is a human being is not a robot and it isn't this straightforward. Anyone who simplifies it down to that is either doesn't know enough about the subject or is, is selling you something effectively because it's not as simple as that. And we know it takes something as simple as weight loss. We know sleep plays a factor, calorie control plays a factor, yeah, yeah. training plays a factor. Stress. Like that's Everything. why people are going, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a calorie deficit, but I'm not losing weight. Well, mm-hmm. are you sleeping eight hours a night? No. Mm-hmm. Are you stressed at work? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. those are two things that are going to impact that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really picking that holistic approach then, Rob. Yeah, for me, before, you know, we talk about athletes, we talk about sports people, but first of all, 
um, they're people first. Yeah, they're, um, they're I would say they're, they're athletes second, and yeah. then they're sports specific third. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how we should look at it. Is okay. Yeah. If you you know this person in front of me is a human being. They've got concerns, you know, about school, about relationships, especially that you know we've all been through those teenage years that it could be pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. a lot of things going on. Um, you know, being accepted by the tribe and being cool, and you know, that's yeah, not, yeah. it's not just something we you know kind of mock. It is there's a psychological happen. element to being that, being one of the tribe and a, and a place of safety and being accepted by your peers. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on that people we need to give um, you know credence to that. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white. It's not simple. Perfect. Um, okay, thank you for coming on the show, Rob. Not a problem. Great to catch up and, uh, yeah, pretty uh, good to talk about these things. It's always a, a passion of mine. Definitely. So it's been some great information today. Um, thank you for listening, folks. That's another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. And I'll speak to you soon.